As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Tony Football Show. Today, FA Cup third round. We bring you the best of the 31 matches so far from Liverpool's win at the Emirates to George Ellicobie's stones rolling on to Coventry for the most dramatic result with visitors from Oxford since Saltburn. We're also here from Timo Werner to Tottenham and dire transfer decisions for Bayern and more in this Totally Football Show. All right, listener, thank you so much for joining us. We're saying hello from the faraway world of Sunday, the 7th of January, the evening thereof, immediately post the action at the Emirates where Liverpool were 2-0 winners over Arsenal. Watching that here alongside me were Tim Spears. Hi, Tim. Hi, James. And Tom Williams. All right, Tom. Hello, James. Wow. From his Nottinghamshire Irie, here's Daniel Story. All right, Daniel. Irie, how are you doing? Nice. Uh, <laughs> You went to you went to a game this weekend, didn't you? You went to the Stag Do Derby, uh, Baggies and Shots, West Brom. Nice, with the shot. yeah. yeah. My ears are still ringing from up the shots, sang on repeat. Felt felt like my uni freshers week. Yeah. What nice. what tune do they sing that to? Uh, up the shots, up the shots. I think it's quite. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nothing too right. Nothing too out there. Okay. What did you watch, guys, of the 31 matches so far available? Tim? Watched the majority of the TV games with Newcastle Sunderland being the, the highlight for me, I think. Was it? Uh, think... Well, no, actually, no. Probably overtaken by what we've just seen, actually. Yeah, the Liverpool um, win. But yeah. it's not been a classic no. weekend of, no. of FA Cup. Some action. nice goals, though. Nice goals. Some nice goals. Some nice storylines. Yeah. A couple of shocks. Okay. Yeah, one or two things in there, eh, Tom? I watched uh, Tottenham Hotspur 1, Burning Nil, which kind of encapsulated the whole weekend in that it was a very, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a very disappointing game, but it was quite a dreary game that was enlivened by a spectacular winning goal by Pedro Porro. Manchester City 5, Huddersfield nil, which was Mm. pretty much exactly the game you thought it was going to be. And uh, Arsenal-Liverpool, which was a very engaging way to finish the weekend, albeit... Perhaps not if you're an Arsenal fan. Perhaps not. Okay. 31 matches, as I say, so far. Among the headlines, well, 
lowest ranked team in the competition, Maidstone United, out of the sixth tier. But through to the fourth round after shocking Stevenage of League One, 1 0, with a Sam Corn penalty at the Gallagher Stadium. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the biggest giant killing of the round so far. Mm-hmm. Got the prized first slot on match of the day uh, on Saturday night. Uh, I felt a little bit bad for Sam Corn, the Maidstone goal scorer, because he had a wadge of tissue paper yes. w- like wedged into one of his nostrils. A little bit of cotton wool there, I a think. A bit of cotton wool. Yeah. Obviously, you know, it had a, some kind of nosebleed. Mm. And, you know, that's probably the high point of his career. And I'm, I'm sure it doesn't take the edge off it at all. I think, I think it does. But it's kind of, it's unfortunate. Imagine if Ronnie Radford had scored his famous goal with like a big bit of tissue paper sticking out of his nose. You'd be a bit ah, that's a shame. But, but probably I mean, not worth flagging. But I've no, flagged, I think I've flagged it's, it all de- the same. Details like that that make Totally Football show very much the essential companion to the FA Cup third round weekend. Uh, Liverpool, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to that in depth. Uh, Holders Man City five. Nil winners against Huddersfield, very much in keeping with their recent results against the Terriers. Two goals for Phil Foden. The big news, I guess, about that game was Kevin De Bruyne with his new haircut coming on for the first time since August and getting a, an assist within, I think, what, 17 minutes? 17 minutes, hmm. And for Jeremy Doku, who was also making his return mm-hmm. from of course. Uh, an injury in forced absence. All right. Team enjoyed Saturday's weird time derby, which turned out to be a spirited but relatively straightforward uh, Newcastle 3-0 win over Sunderland. Elsewhere, Chelsea were 4-0 winners against Preston North End, all the goals coming in the second half. Brighton had a 4-2 win over Stoke Villa ended their long third round curse. They'd actually gone out at this point of the tournament in the last seven editions, but this time they beat Borough 1-0. Late on, Matty Cash deflected shot. Uh, Championship QPR, though, did maintain their proud record of suffering the most third round eliminations of any club in FA Cup history. They were 2-0 up against Bournemouth, but ended up conceding three second half goals to secure a 50-second exit at the third round stage. Well done. No Premier League side, I noticed, got knocked out by a lower-tier opponent. Three got taken to replays. Luton, who were goalless with Bolton. Forrest, who came back uh, to draw 2-2 with Blackpool. And West Ham, who drew 1-1 with Bristol City. Tommy Conway's uh, breakaway equaliser there, meaning that David Moyes will have a, a replay of that to enjoy. Others oh, so good they'll play them twice games were Palace Everton from Thursday. Bit of controversy about Dominic Cavalier and the red card there. Perhaps we'll touch on that later. And Brentford Wolves. Oh, Birmingham Hull. That's also got to replay. Oh, also National League Eastleigh, who've earned themselves a replay away at League 2 Newport. Wow. Uh, Nuno Spirito Santo says ban replays, Tim. Uh, yeah, there's a bit of a growing narrative about it. About that, isn't there? I think. Is there? I think so. Well, obviously, they've gone in the later rounds, and um, with it coinciding with the winter break this year, I think. A lot, I mean, Thomas Frank said a draw against Wolves was the the worst possible outcome. Mm. He he would have rather have lost, basically. I don't know. I, I feel like there's still a, there's still a place for them. Obviously, the financial rewards for lower league teams getting a replay against a higher opposition, but. For me, any tie that involves two teams from the same division should just not go to a replay. There's there's no interest there from anybody, is there really? So yeah, yeah, Nuno's called for them to go. One of my favourite football memories is from an FA Cup replay, so I would be hesitant to say ditch them. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's 
there's a there's a growing movement for them to be because it stuffs up their winter breaks clubs. exactly right yeah, can't go to can't go to marbs if you've got a third round replay indeed not indeed not. unless you unless you you know renegotiate for it to be played in marbs that's a thought Maybe that's the solution. Maybe that's the way to get the Premier League teams to swallow third round replays. Mm. Okay. Can Tim, can Tim tell us his his FA Cup replay? Oh, oh yes. uh, it was uh, Wolves v Sheffield Wednesday, nineteen ninety five, February ninety five, fourth round replay. Famous or well, not that famous, but but well known for its incredible penalty shootout finish, which I I've never seen before or since, mm. as in the sequence. Mm. So Wolves missed their first three penalties and then scored their next four. Mm. Sheffield Wednesday scored their first three and then missed their next four. Ooh. Which I've it seems pre- we were talking about so unique, unique scorelines earlier. Wolves. I think that's yeah. So they won four three in sudden death. Okay. And there were other narratives like it was Chris Waddle's first penalty since Italian ninety, Ooh. and Kevin Pressman scored one of the greatest penalties of all time. So there was a lot going on there. Brilliant. And Why couldn't we have that this weekend? Why couldn't we? Yeah. But that was very much about the penalties run there being a replay. I feel that had they just gone straight to penalties after the first game. But, you know, replays are part of the, you know, the lifeblood. Hashtag lifeblood for now, of the competition. For but now. as Tim says, very much on the, uh, you know, the, the path to extinction. Uh, sorry, Daniel. I was going to say there is a, a fairly easy solution to this, which is that if both clubs agree that they don't want a replay, you don't have a replay. And if both clubs don't agree, which lower league clubs certainly wouldn't if they were playing clubs in a higher league, then mm. you don't. You do have a replay. That seems the solution. I think. I mean, common it's a bit sense. No, it's, but it's it's a bit, maybe it's a bit too common sense. It's too sensible. Oh. All right. It was a good weekend for the city of Sheffield. Sheffield United 4-0 winners at Gillingham. That was their first away win in any competition this season. It featured their brand new signing, Ben Bereton Dears, who came on for the last 20 minutes. Chris Wilder saying we had to make sure we did a job on Gillingham. Afterwards. Of course, of course he did. Mm. Sheffield Wednesday, meanwhile, had a 4-0 win against Cardiff. A shout out to the Wednesday, to the Owls keeper, Cameron Dawson. Did you see this? Saving two penalties, two different penalties, in the space of three minutes. I had it even better than watching it, which was I was listening to the radio, listening to Five Live and listening to another game. Therefore, they kept having to go to Hillsborough when anything happened. And you basically got no commentary of the first 10 minutes of the game I was going to be listening to because they kept having to go to Hillsborough for a goal and then a penalty save and then another penalty save all in the first seven minutes, which was great. Magnificent. All right. Uh, oh, it's a bad weekend. Meanwhile, for... Dreaming spas and gilded halls of academia-based clubs. Uh, Cambridge United losing 5-2 to Blackburn Rovers with a first-half hat-trick from Sammy. I'm going to say Smodich. Would that be in yep, any way correlatory to his... Yeah, OK. Uh, and Oxford United got beaten 6-2 against Coventry. Pick of the goals from that one. Mm, Casey, Casey Palmer. Casey yeah, Palmer. And Palmer turns on the ball and races towards us. Goes for a shot. Oh, what a goal! Was that the goal of the round, do you feel? No, no absolutely not. Not, even, not necessarily even top three. Oh, really? We've been Let's hear your top three. Well, I, I mean, it would be more dramatic to do it in reverse order, but I don't know what that is, so I'm just going to start with Have number one. Have a little one. think, Tim. Are you going to go reverse order on us? I've only got one. There's only one in the conversation, isn't really? there? Really? Yeah. Patrick Bamford. Patrick Bamford, yeah. Wham Bamford. The astonishing goal. Trim, just one defeat at home for them all season in all competitions. That came against Derby back in August. Bamford chests it down. Oh. What a goal! What an unbelievable goal from Patrick. 
Certainly the best goal scored by a classmate of Daniel Story in the FA Cup this season. Not a classmate. A, yeah, same. sadly, same school, not same class. Okay. My greying beard. Your move, Story. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I would shout Morgan Gibbs-White. I would mm. shout Casey Palmer. I'd shout Pedro Porro. Pedro um, Porro. But, no, it has to be Marco Van Bamford for that. Mm. Van Bamford. <laughs> it was more... Uh, Bames Rodriguez, I would say, than Van Basten. Yeah. Do you not think yeah. that World yeah. Cup... Yeah. Uh, or even Tony, Yub, getting, Tony Yubamford. Oh. With going far, far too niche, it reminded me of a goal that scored, probably the greatest goal in the championship history, which is scored by Joe Garner for Preston, where he kind of, yeah, he, he lifts the ball over a defender and then volleys it across goal. It's an astonishing goal, Bamford. And for a player who has been basically pilloried by Leeds fans for most of the last... 18 months hmm. um, the kind of the weird accusation is that he can't hack it so he can only score goals in empty stadiums in the Premier League which feels a bit uncharitable um, and then a kind of reminder that even just very good footballers are capable of absolutely incredible things that they, they pull off in training all the time but very rarely in games oh my I've just seen that Joe Garner goal that's that's incredible yeah the title of the of the YouTube video is the best goal ever scored it's, it's, yeah I uploaded it's, it that's right, right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh, okay hang on a second so a I've got to go around and have a look at this Garner oh he's done superbly he's done magnificently that is astonishing oh yes Mm. With a little additional touch. Yeah, because he, yeah, he chests it and then does a touch and then... And then, and then hits. Well, it's certainly a good one, Tim. I'm Ooh. not denying that. Was Bamford's goal oh, yeah. better than Alejandro Garnacho's goal? That's the question. I don't know. I'm not sure if we can Because there was the very quickly goal of the season contender talk and Puskas award talk right. after the Bamford goal. Yeah did the rounds on social media. But I kind of feel like Garnacho's already got goal of the season nailed. People do like an overhead bicycle kick. Mm. I can kind of, I mean, controversially, I can kind of take them all even, but people do like them a lot. I prefer this one. I kind of prefer this one. Hmm. Yeah, there's more moving parts to it, which is a yeah. mad thing to say against a goal that has a man with his feet above his head. Yeah, and I think there's, there's an impudence to this. I, I, I can just about fathom seeing a ball flying in at that kind of height and thinking I'm going to have to fall over and fling my foot at this, but to chest and then think, I'll just spin and volley this, especially when you've got the kind of track record that Patrick Bamford's got. Anyway, there you go. Part of a 3-0 win for Leeds over Peterborough, which sees them through to the fourth round, where they'll also be joined by Wrexham, who beat Shrewsbury 1-0. Oh, Daniel, you went to West Brom Aldershot. We mentioned that, and that turned out <laughs> 4-1 for the Baggies. Yeah, I had the option of doing a preview of one and going to another in terms of big shot potential. And mm. I did the preview of Maidstone and went to the Hawthorns, which turns out to have been a bad decision. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a, a very, very routine win. There were 5,000 order shots fans there, though, which was great. And they probably made up about a third of the attendance at the Hawthorns. Um, my big bugbear this weekend is when will championship clubs learn that you should just give season ticket holders the first round of cup competitions free with their season ticket so that the ground is not half empty or the home end is not half empty for a you know a really good game uh shout out to tom fellows a 20 year old winger that only played twice in the or only started twice in the championship and he was by a mile the best player on the pitch so he is a one to watch very good 
also in among the games already played, you had Ipswich beating AFC Wimbledon 3-1, but lots of stuff happened. Let me just say to round this chunk off that the draw for the fourth round will be happening just before the 32nd game of the round, which is Man United at Wigan on Monday night. Daniel, you did the preview for Maidstone's clash with Stevenage. Can you offer some perspective on just what Saturday's 1-0 victory represents for that club? Yeah, so this is this is this club's first appearance in the FA Cup third round. But Maidstone have been in the third round before, but in 1992 went out of business just as the Premier League formed. They went out of business because they got promoted to the Football League, couldn't use the ground, debts eventually spiralled, someone threatened to take them to the northeast of England and move the club, weren't allowed, and eventually they went bankrupt. And ever since then, they've been they started in the fourth, I think the fourth tier of Kent football. So they were. De- Demoted about ten divisions. When you and they've kind of that's sorry, ten on. division. No, I'm just curious. It's the fourth tier of Kent football. That's ten yes. tier, is it? You think? So yeah, they basically had three promotions to get to the Isthmian League system. So it's a it's a huge drop. They took over a, a youth club effectively, and then changed their name to to Maidstone United and worked their way back. And they've still not got back to the football league. They've they've been in the national league a couple of times. Um, but I mean, in purely monetary terms, they've earned 125 grand prize money before Saturday. Mm. I think they've doubled it after Saturday. What's that um, represent? I always like a, re- a comparison with their annual budget. Exactly, build a new it's clubhouse. Very, what? It was very much that. Well, they, they've actually got a, a new, a ish stadium. They moved into the Gallagher Stadium in 2012. It took them 24 years, I think, to get home. Having 24 left years Maidstone, without a ground, without playing football in Maidstone. Yeah, mm. um, and. Yeah, their, their manager is the incredibly affable and friendly George Ellicobi. Uh They've got Craig Fagan, who I spoke to last week. He's their assistant manager. He was at Hull when they are in the Premier League. And there was a great quote from Ellicobi that, that Tim, I'm sure, will have seen and enjoyed because he's a bit of a Wolves legend. And he, they said, oh, who do you want in the fourth round? And everyone was expecting him to say a kind of Man City or Chelsea or whoever. And he said, yeah, I want to I take my babies home to Wolves. I want to play at the Golden Palace. Golden Palace. So he is ready for... Yeah, if you can fix a draw, we shouldn't. But if you can, let's let's have Wolves Maidstone. Has anyone ever referred to Wolves as the Golden Palace before? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 the it's the nickname for the stadium. Oh, uh, right. Although my 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 friends use it as a stick to beat me with because they say it sounds like a Chinese restaurant. I mean, it, it does. does. Uh, yeah, it, it, and it does. Yeah. So I don't really I don't use, use it. I'm going often. to the Golden Palace tonight. Yeah. My hopes were already soaring, and then it turns out. <laughs> oh well. Okay. Hey, let's get on to a little bit more of an in-depth look at what happened at the Emirates Sunday afternoon next. For most of us, January means New Year's resolutions. But for the footballing world, January means one thing. Transfers. The window is back open and that sound you can hear is managers frantically compiling their wish lists and agents tapping on their phones trying to get a good deal. While the rest of us wait for the next David Ornstein newsflash. There's a lot going on, and to stay on top of every move that matters, you need the Athletic Football Podcast. They were prioritising somebody like Mason Mount, Ilkay Gundogan was in the mix. Five days a week, we'll help you cut through the noise with the most reliable reporters in the industry. David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, Laurie Whitwell and many more will not only tell you what the deal is, but how it happened too. So make sure you don't miss a single transfer beat in January with the Athletic Football Podcast. Listen for free wherever you get your shows and hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Look at the purple shirts now. And it's Luis Diaz. And he's sealed it by smashing the ball into the roof of the Arsenal net. Arsenal-Liverpool. 2-0 for Jurgen Klopp's side. After a first half which saw Arsenal absolutely dominating. What what was the shot count? Was it 13 shots and five on target? I think in the game overall. But most of those coming in the first half, most of them fall into Kai Havertz with predictable consequences. But with about 10 minutes to go, it was Liverpool that took the lead through an Arsenal own goal. Jakob Kiwior glancing in Trent Alexander-Arnold's free kick and then with Arsenal chasing an equaliser, Liverpool break downfield and Luis Diaz shows them how you finish a goal-scoring opportunity because they do need telling. What was it that Jurgen Klopp did to turn that game around that the, the pundits were raving about? Well, I mean, I think we should probably underline the fact that Liverpool were missing an awful lot of first-team players you know, at, at kickoff, obviously no Mo Salah, Virgil van Dijk wasn't there, um, no Endo, no Dominic Sabozlai, etc. Um, and yeah, Liverpool started with Gakpo in the midfield three and Harvey Elliott filling in for Mo Salah on the right. And at half time, Klopp moved Elliott into midfield, put Gakpo through the middle as a kind of false nine. Darwin Nunez went out to the left. Luis Diaz switched over to the right. And it just, it seemed to give Liverpool more of a platform in in midfield. And uh, as a consequence, you know, they started attacking down the the flanks a bit more deliberately using the pace of of Nunez and and the pace of of Diaz. And Nunez had a a classic Darwin-Nunez game where he's just constantly picking up the ball in good positions, getting into good shooting positions, and then either making the wrong decision or, you know, not making good contact. Um, but, you know, ran his heart out, as did Diaz. And Diaz gets his reward right at the end with a really well-taken goal. And, yeah, fantastic result for Liverpool. And for Arsenal, just, I mean, yeah, sort of groundhog day. Completely bossed the game, particularly in the first half. And Mikel Arteta sort of, you know, had mixed things up for once. Kai Havertz playing through the middle up front for the first time since, I think, the Community Shield. Reese Nelson starting on the left to give Gabriel Martinelli a breather um, and created loads of chances. But again, just no cutting edge whatsoever. And once again, it's, you know, it's, it's cost them dearly. Yeah. Arsenal now 112 shots in their last six matches, four goals scored. Poor old Kai Havertz. At least he'll always have that Champions League winning goal, eh, Tom? Yes, he will. Well, this, James, is a reference to the fact that I had, I had uh, suggested pre-pod uh, that uh, 
the circumstances of that winning goal yeah. in the 2021 Champions League final were actually slightly fortuitous in that, if you'll recall, it came from Havertz running onto a Mason Mount through ball and then rounding Edison and mm. rolling the ball into the empty net. If you if you watch a replay, you'll see that had Edison not got a touch on the ball after Havertz's first touch, the ball could well have sped out for a goal kick. Um, and it was another, you know, I mean, on that occasion, obviously, he got the the rub of the green, mm. as they say, and and and, uh, and tucked in the winning goal. But yeah, yeah. against Liverpool, Edison it was the kind the of... sting out of a wild touch, essentially. Pre- yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was sort of like knock-kneed, tripping over his own feet, uh, Havertz, again, at the Emirates mm. uh, today. And, you know, that was a big factor in Arsenal failing to, you know, failing to score. Yeah, a rough Christmas period for the Gunners, uh, continuing into the new year. That's what arguably two different trophy competitions that they might now be... Well, one, certainly, and uh, the other one's not looking mm-hmm. great after the Premier League results over Christmas, Tim. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it was the same old story, missing chances and losing 2-0 at home like they did against West Ham last week. But, you know, the, the accusation is that Arsenal have been quite boring to watch and, you know, trying to control games and take the fun out of them. But they, this was this was different. This was, you know, this should have been final up at half-time, really. Mm. Um, but yeah, Liverpool's defending part of the credit for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. But in terms of again, highlighted Arsenal's lack of match winners. I think that's a real problem for them at the moment. And it feels like you know, for a club that's all about sort of uh, prides itself on long term planning and and building for the future, they're now sort of relying on January. It feels like to save their season. I don't know. There's distinct lack of goal scorers and match winners along that along that front line and it feels like January is going to be there anyway Strange it didn't feel that way I know there was always that centre forward question but it didn't feel that way not so long ago when they were putting what six or seven past Lens in the Champions League it was six wasn't it uh, Daniel what was your take on, on Sunday well, at the I, Emirates I wonder with the, with the Havertz thing it does feel deliberate that Arteta has not tried him as a centre forward since the Community Shield he, he was very insistent that Havertz was this kind of progressive number eight and therefore it felt like playing him as a centre forward was almost an admission of weakness in that, OK, we'll try the thing that everyone assumed he was when we bought him that hadn't worked before. Uh, I know this is a cup game and so there was an, an element of, of rotation, but it feels like the last plan for that centre forward line and Ketty stayed on the bench till 81 minutes. He is a striker, but clearly either isn't trusted or maybe will move at some point. Gabriel Jesus wasn't there, we're told, because of another knee injury. It does, just doesn't feel like you can trust him to start two months in the team and, and remain fit for the entirety of that two months. So it, it was basically the ultimate admission of, OK, yeah, this was our last shot. It, it still didn't work. Havertz missed chances you should have taken. But he doesn't really have an argument for not asking for a striker now. I don't know if he deserves one, given that they spent £200 million in the summer and didn't buy one. But And, and that sounds like that was at least partly his decision. But yeah, this season is is careering off the tracks if they continue to either... The two extremes are they either don't create chances because they're boring and look solid or they do create chances, miss them and therefore look weaker at the back as a result. And neither of those are particularly appetising. No, indeed not. What about Liverpool then, who've got a League Cup semi-final coming up against Fulham at Anfield on on Wednesday? Loads of positives, as Tom was suggesting, on a, on a potentially tricky afternoon for Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I mean, on the TV, Ibrahim Kanate got man of the match, and I think that's absolutely fair enough. But a huge shout-out to Conor Bradley, who was the game's best player after he came on. I thought when that Martinelli change happened, and he immediately rinsed Trent twice and could have set up one goal in that time, I thought that was going to be the game because they were looking for that massive switch over to, to Martinelli to run at the defender. 
And Klopp effectively brought on another player to play at right back and just sort of said to Trent, you just float around a bit in that position. And Bradley was brilliant at stopping Martinelli. That changed the game because Trent was then able to push forward, play the passes without worrying about Martinelli running in behind him. And I thought just that tweak was almost as effective as the half-time switches around. Um, Bradley was, I've not seen much of Bradley. I know they said he was Bolton's player of the year last year, but he looked really, really solid at right back. So anybody know Tim? Do you know anything more about Connor Bradley? No, I, I don't know very much about him, but I, I I agree he was very impressive. It's it's they're just finding a way to win almost every game they're playing at the moment. I think they've lost one domestic game all season now. That's correct. They've lost two in the Europa League and the the one in the Premier League, being the oh so controversial Spurs game. You yeah, remember. of course, when they were down down mm. to nine men. I think it's important to highlight the way that Jurgen Klopp engineered this victory with his, with his changes we mentioned tactically and then uh, Jota was fantastic as well when he came on a few months ago there were there was sort of a, there was a thought that Klopp might be uh, tired or on the way out of Liverpool and reaching the end of a cycle and you know can, can he go again and you, you've got to say he looks completely reinvigorated right now and that's having a massive impact on their uh, remarkable run of form mm, indeed and they do this so often Liverpool you know get battered <laughs> Or, or play quite badly and manage to find a way to win. And, and what has happened very often this season has been that it's it's been to Mo Salah that they've looked and he's been the difference. And obviously he wasn't there today and he won't be around for, for a few weeks because of the Africa Cup of Nations. But, you know, and again, in spite of all the of all the other absentees, they managed to, you know, pull off the same the same feat um against Arsenal. Magnificent. Uh, that's Liverpool through then and Manchester City the holders also in the fourth round. Tom, you watched their performance for 90 minutes. I'm sure there were lots of exciting things to tell us about from that. Yeah, I mean, it was the, it was the sort of classic City against lower leagues opposition game in a cup competition sort of match. Um, and also a classic sort of Manchester City versus Huddersfield game because, you know, when their paths were crossing in the Premier League, they seemed to score about five or six goals past them every time. Phil Foden was really good and sort of stuck out in the sense that Huddersfield, uh, you know, dropped back. Uh, and basically had every man behind the ball and City were just sort of stringing passes around in front of the Huddersfield penalty area. And the only player who seemed to be constantly trying to propose, you know, different passing solutions and different angles in terms of his, you know, the runs he was making in his body position was Foden. He scored the first goal. Uh, he scored the fourth goal, which was beautifully uh, created after a a short corner on the on the, the Man City right. Um, and he's been, you know, the last few weeks playing in that number 10 position that we've, you know, occasionally heard he is incapable of playing in. Um, and as it turns out, you know, there, there are circumstances where he can play there and, and plays very well. Um, but I think that the main sort of takeaway for City was both De Bruyne being back and Doku being back. And I, I suspect that De Bruyne being back will probably put the kibosh on Foden you know, having any aspirations to to keeping hold of that position in the team. Although Guardiola, again, after the game, spoke about the importance of easing De Bruyne back in. Obviously, he's been out since since August through injury. Um, so I don't think he's necessarily going to come straight back into the starting eleven. But yeah, a sort of classic City Cup performance and, you know, De Bruyne and Doku being back and Haaland being on the verge of returning as well there that that kind of ominous feeling we've all had about City over the last few weeks as you know a lot of their rivals in the Premier League have started to falter is only growing as they get you know all of these key players back indeed they've got Newcastle who are minus a player or two we'll talk about the Sunderland game a little bit later on uh, they've got them next Saturday and then their uh, winter break 
which sees them off until the 31st of January when they welcome Burnley. Burnley to the Etihad. Very good. Next up, we'll have a bit of a chat about that Timo Werner to Tottenham business. Now then, if your New Year's resolution for 2024 is to find the best Spurs podcast on the planet, then boy, do I have a treat for you. I'm Danny Kelly, host of The View from the Lane, the Athletics dedicated and award-winning Spurs podcast. Twice a week, I'm joined by Charlie Eccleshare, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore as they bring you everything you need to know from in and around the club. You won't get it anywhere else. Listen free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all the usual places and make sure to hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. The View from the Lane, people. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Totally Football Show European Edition is out on Tuesday. Of course, we're going to talk about ooh, Napoli's latest meltdown and other things too. And in France, the extraordinary Coupe de France, which saw Golden Lion and Martinique. Not sure what kind of restaurant they sound like. Maybe a pub, probably. More a pub. It's More a, 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 pub. a grim expat pub. Oh, yeah. Uh, they travelled 8,000 miles there and back to go to Lille in the Coupe de France. How'd it go, Tom? 12-goal thriller. <laughs> in the sense that it finished Lille 12, Golden Line nil. Right. Um, the Coupe de France also featured this weekend one of the worst Penenka penalties mm. ever taken. Can confirm. Uh, which was the oeuvre of a certain Antoine Mille uh, mm. playing for Châteauroux and uh, their game went to a penalty shootout against Les Herbiers uh, who reached the Coupe de France final in 2018, I think it was. Uh, and he took a Penenka that was so bad it mm. bounced before it reached the goal. Mm. And the Keeper goalie walked out was able to walk up. out, pick it up, and then ran up right up into Antoine Mille's grill. 
uh, to rub it in because they really don't like being Pananka, do they, goalkeepers? So, no. right, bit of so. bit of bit of revenge for the goalies there. Mm. More on that on Tuesday's Totally Football Show European Edition on Tuesday. There'll also be a brand new Full Time Europe, the Athletics Women's Football Podcast, which will have, I'm sure, a lot of talk about the implications of that terrible injury to Chelsea's Sam Kerr. What that means, Footballer of the Year, of course, who's now done her ACL and why that keeps happening in the women's game as well. Uh, anyway, now, uh, Spurs won the winners over Burnley on Friday night. Tom, I think you watched this. Was that right? Was it Tim? Tim, you watched this? I think we both did. Did you both watch it? Yeah. Uh, quite the goal from Pedro Porro, as we've mentioned. But the big news, I feel, coming out of N17 of late is Spurs audacious loan signing of Timo Werner from RB Leipzig. Not sure if this is officially confirmed, but I don't care. I'm too excited because this is the kind of January move that really sets the imagination alight. Eh, Daniel? It couldn't work, could it? Well, yeah. I mean, on paper and on logic, it is a team that Hyungmin Sun aside struggles to finish their chances and score goals. Signing a striker who we already know in the Premier League struggles to finish chances and score goals, but looks very busy, which is also a, a kind of you sort of amalgam all of Spurs' other forward other than Son and basically get Timo Werner DNA. Um, so they, yeah. So maybe it is a kind of yeah Spurs DNA. Um, look, he's the the positive spin is that he needs the move. He's not really done much at Leipzig this season at all, and he's a, a kind of free hit, I suppose. And Son's not there, so he's a body. And I, I guess he's hardworking and pressing and Ange Postecoglou will like both of those things. But that it, it feels like one of those things that if you said it to a Spurs fan last week, they'd be like, that sounds awful. And then when it actually happens, they say, well, you know, it could. there is some logic to it. It could work. You never know, which is probably exactly what Tim is about to do. Probably about the same way that Arsenal fans talked about when they got Kai Havertz out of Chelsea. He'd also been brilliant back in the day at... Uh, Leipzig, some of the time alongside Timo Werner. Tim, make the case for Timo. I mean, I guess they're getting a they're getting a motivated player. He's dropped out of the Germany squad. The Euros is coming up. He could do with uh, a good run of form. Uh, he will get minutes. He will get you know with Son being away till possibly mid February. There's there's a big chunk of games coming up, and Spurs yeah do really lack quality alternatives along that front line. They've been playing Valise and and Brian Hill have been coming off the bench recently. Just not up to the standard of those players that they're replacing. The option fee is remarkable, I think, and really shows how uh, his reputation has, has suffered. How much is it? Uh, reports of between 15 and 20 million Ooh. for a player who cost 47 million when Chelsea purchased him not too long ago. Um, and there's obviously a reason. Isn't a, judging Chelsea transfer fees, as a, that's not necessarily. A... <laughs> no, but you know, for a guy who's got a record of almost one in two for, for Germany and had obviously a couple of excellent seasons with Leipzig, yeah, there's a reason he's values halved because he stopped scoring goals a little while ago you know if they get the Chelsea Werner then uh, he'll just be a backup option he'll make no impact and leave quietly in the summer um, but what I would say is Postacoglu has a recent and good track record of improving players and improving their confidence and we've seen Richarlison have a real upturn recently and um, we'll see how that goes but players like Porro markedly different to last season Bissouma so if if Ange does his thing then you never know but I doubt it but if he's better than he was at Chelsea, Spurs fans will love him. Mm, yeah. They'll see that as great banter. So, you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, also this weekend, the letters WT and F coming in for industrial usage across the land with news that Eric Dyer's on his way to Bayern. Uh, Daniel Schofield tweeting, Harry wants somebody to play hungry hippos with. 
<laughs> is that fair? Is there a... I mean, motivation enough, I would say, but I know buying a light at the back... Yeah, and he will not be tr- tested, I suppose, in the same way. Um, there was a very good central defender in Eric Dyer. It was it was quite a long time ago. It was probably 2018, 2019. Um, there was a, a very good defender in there. Uh, he definitely needs a move. There's no doubt about that. The obvious example of you being upbeat about this is, is Chris Smalling, who was given fairly short shrift by fans in England and fans of the England team and hasn't managed to break back into the England squad, but is having a lovely old time in Italy. Certainly, it compare, compared to his time or last six to eight to 12 to 18 to 24 months in England, Dyer will be after the same. It's very much a kind of career renaissance move. And again, it's as with Werner, I suppose it's a kind of shot to nothing. If it doesn't work out, it's not going to be a hugely expensive move. The Kane factor is is obviously a thing. Uh, they're pretty good mates. Um, that seems a, a fairly good way of keeping Harry settled as well. And if, if that's all it ends up being, then maybe that's worth it. But yeah, he certainly needs that career reboot. It's pretty telling that, you know, I know Postacoglu was pretty angry about suggestions that he was being left out because he's moving, but he's been left out for all sorts of reasons over the last year under three different managers. So it's not going to happen from him at Spurs. It's a pinch yourself move for him. And yeah, kind of good luck to him. You know, he he has remained pretty professional. He's not throwing his toys out the pram. He's clearly going through a bad time of it. But um, you know, look across at England's defensive partners, and Harry Maguire quickly turned it around. So why can't he? I guess very nice. And this potential transfer has yielded what is unquestionably the most brutal one-word quote of the entire season. In that Ange Postecoglou was asked after the Burnley game whether uh, in light of Ben Davis potentially being injured, uh, he could afford to lose Eric Dyer. <laughs> Foster Cogley just replied, yes. There you are. Possibly heading in the opposite direction in terms of coming into the Premier League or back to the Premier League, Jordan Henderson. According to reports, after his move, how long ago was that? Six months ago? Was it six months? Yeah. Ago that he moved yeah. to Al Etifak. Solved it, hasn't he? Yeah. That quickly. He's changed attitudes in Saudi Arabia. There's nothing left for him to achieve I mean, there. Things not going well for Al Etifak. No wins in eight. Attendance is down. Uh, Daniel? No, but the, it, it, as a positive spin, they are getting rid of Jordan Henderson's wages, so it's not all bad. There you are. Who do you think might want him? Who Do you think, do you think he'll find a home in the, the Premier League? If <laughs> I mean, well, who, who can afford him? If he's going to take an, an almighty wage cut. It smacks of Nottingham Forest, if I'm brutally honest. Um, but, I mean, Ful- maybe Fulham, if, if Jao Polinia goes to Bayern, would that be a, a potential option for him? Uh, I don't think he can be choosy. Uh, I don't think there will be many takers. But Fulham seems like... I mean, Fulham or Crystal Palace, maybe. Someone that's slightly struggling that maybe needs a a body in. I, needs a lot of pointing done. I don't... Yeah, I just don't get it. And and I feel like he's, I mean, the news has clearly leaked from his side, I think it's fair to say. He, he's clearly pretty disillusioned with how the move has gone. I, I cannot believe he didn't predict some of those problems. You know, there's this kind of, one of the reports I read sort of said that it's very humid and hot. And I thought, yeah, it'll do that out there. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, he, he, like Werner, has, has probably sees himself dropping lower in that England pecking order and thinks, well, I've got to try something. I'm sure a Premier League club will take it, but 
it would be a foolish move, I think, given the probable wages. But yeah, I, I hope I'm wrong that it smacks of Forest. That's me being flippant. I, I don't think he'll go there. But yeah, I don't. I don't really see where there's an obvious fit unless it's a an MLS move or something like that. Mm. All right. Well, it's an exciting time, the transfer window. Uh, back to, though, the weekend's FA Cup uh, action and some of the other stories that we should be touching on. Of course, the Weirtine derby. Of course, what happened with West Ham. But maybe there's another match that you guys would like to bring up at this point before we finish off our third round coverage. Yeah, the only thing that stands out, and this is from the highlights rather than from having watched the game, but I oh, yeah. thought... Chesterfield looked oh. excellent against Watford. Seemed to knock the ball around really, really nicely. Loads of one-touch passing and third-man runs. Were 1-0 up at Watford with 50 minutes remaining and, and then let two in late on. Chesterfield, obviously, club with FA Cup pedigree, 1997 and all that. The 3-3 draw against uh, Janino's Middlesbrough at Old Trafford. Um, but yeah, played some lovely stuff and, and you know, it seems that they could they could count themselves unlucky not to have got at least a replay there. Right, the Spyrites. The Spyrites. Spyrites. Okay, we, we should also point out, you know, Wrexham beating Shrewsbury yeah. away, mm. uh, league above. But also this is one of the lesser known derbies. It's a hail from not too far from that part of the world. It's, it's ferocious. Right. Uh, the cross-border derby. There aren't too many clubs around there, so they're 30 miles apart, but... Um, They've not played each other for since 2008, I think it was. So it's a yeah packed house at Shrewsbury, you know, their biggest game of the season. And yeah, Wrexham go and win it with a dodgy uh, deflected late winner. Was that what it was, Tim? It was. Mm. And um, yeah, they'll, they'll be an interesting name in Monday night's draw for sure. Mm, indeed so. All right, as will Chelsea, who had that 4-0 win over Preston North End, who are currently 14th in the Championship. Breuer among the scorers. Yeah, so yeah, goals for players who, you know, would in need of goals. So mm. Armando Breuer, who I think has has looked, you know, pretty useful, having started a couple of games of late without getting any reward, and Enzo Fernandez as well, who got a goal late on, ah, yes. who has been kind of in and out of the team of late. Well done to Mauricio Pochettino's Chelsea. Uh, De Zerbi's Brighton got a bit of a scare away at Stoke, they ran out four-two winners over the Potters. Pascal Gross with a hat-trick of assists. Very nice. And another long-range banger from Purvis' opinion. Oh, yeah. Who was fit again and, and back in the team. Very nice. And then there was the big game Saturday lunchtime at the Stadium of Light. Daniel, Newcastle, a 3-0 win. Yeah, and they were, they were miles, miles better than Sunderland. I know there was a kind of, uh, sort of haunting feeling when that draw was made amongst Newcastle fans and possibly by Eddie Howe as well because... They've lost six in a row to Sunderland. It was a it was much easier not playing them than playing them. But the gap was was chasmic. It was it was enormous. I was really disappointed with Sunderland actually. I know Michael Beale likes to sort of play out from the back, and I get that that's his philosophy. But you watch that game, and all I my overwhelming feeling was Tony Mowbray Sunderland would have given these a much better game than Michael Beale Sunderland did because. They made mistakes. They didn't touch Newcastle because they just kept the ball in their own half. And what that sort of game needs is the the underdog to play with a real intensity uh, and you know go direct make challenges cause problems and they didn't do any of that they just played it as if it was like a you know a league game against a better team and they got battered and you know I just yeah I don't get Michael Beale at all I don't get that appointment at all uh, I don't think it'll work out and it just feels like such an opportunity miss because by half time 
I know it was only one nil at half time, but the game was. I mean, Newcastle should have been three or four clear by half time if Sean Longstaff could could shoot from the edge of the box. And um, yeah, I was really disappointed with Sunderland, which seems a really harsh thing to say about a team coming up against, you know, the team with the richest owners in world football. And I get that. But there are ways of approaching those games, and I thought they got it completely wrong. Mm. The, the game did peter out, but as an as an occasion, pre-match in oh, those yeah. first twenty minutes, it was it was glorious. There's such a yeah. purity to the hatred in that stadium. Like in terms of you know, you get. I went to Man City, Man United last year, and there were half and half scarves, and the the percentage of sort of hatred amongst the fans for for one another is is very high, and that was reflected in the way the game was played. It was a real old school relic. Tackles flying in. Players leaving boots and elbows and everywhere. There was no VAR. It was, it was great. It was it was it was quite glorious. It's kind of like watching sort of UK gold for a couple of hours. It's very old school. Old school. Um, yeah, it's a bullseye version of a football game. Um, the best the best bit for me was pre-game. There was a video of a went kind of viral on Twitter of a Sunderland fan or a few Sunderland fans screaming abuse at Newcastle fans as they sort of walked up from the coaches. And you know, cut a long story short, every Newcastle fan had to go on an official coach. It was a bubble match, and one of the guys screaming abuse there's a someone managed to find a still and you can tell from the still he's got his phone out and he's facetiming his mum while screaming abuse <laughs> at these newcastle fans i thought how, how yeah can, that's pretty much the the time we're derby for you how can you tell he's facetiming his mum well he, he's just got his he, like you can see his mum on this well I, I assume it's his mum on the screen and she's just like laughing really hard and you've watched the video up until that point, so you could, you know the words he's been saying right. and screaming in the face of Newcastle fans. It's, it is absolutely glorious. That is what derby matches are all about. And that's the magic of the cup. Newcastle leaving the Stadium of Light uh, with uh, Joe Linton now on their injury list as well. And one thing we should add, if you're still there, listener, is that uh, we're one or two injuries that could have a bit of a bearing on the way that the uh, season progresses over the next few weeks for other clubs. West Ham spring to mind. Not only do they have to face a replay with Bristol City away at Ashton Gate, but Paquetar, who's been kind of an inspiration to so much, many of the good things that Hammers have been up to, uh, came back from injury and then promptly went out injured again. Yeah, he uh, set up the opening goal and then promptly went off injured a, f- a few minutes later. Um, yeah, not a great day for West Ham. They selected a pretty, pretty strong team, but by all accounts were quite woeful and yeah as well as Pakatar Bowen picked up an injury as well uh, which is quite worrying and Mavropanos oh so uh, and they're yeah another team that loses a winter break with a replay so not a good day for West Ham and Mohamed Kudus is at the Africa Cup of Nations Ooh. just to really pile on the misery for any West Ham fans who are listening yikes they, uh, West Ham loaned out Tiro Kera to Monaco last week with a, an option to buy which you know he wasn't going in the team so fair enough but then when you then play a game and Mavroponos gets injured that day, it does make you think mm, now there's suddenly not as many options at the back, which, yeah, I wonder if David Moyes, if he had his time back, maybe would have kept hold of Kara for a while. Mm. All right, well, we'll be talking more about the Hammers and all the kind of Premier League picture when we return with the Stoney Football Show on Thursday. Tuesday, it'll be the turn of the Euro crew as they break down what's been happening in the various Continental Cups. Ooh. So do look out for that. For now, that brings us to the end of this Totally Football Show. So many thanks to Daniel Story, to Tom Williams and to Tim Spears, as well as Liam and producer Charlie in the booth. You, listener, deserve our eternal gratitude too. So many thanks for being part of it and we'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.